Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. We're back again. Episode 26, Triple Threat Theater. I'm Joe Daxberger. Triple Threat. Back again. I'm Ryan Miller. That's a good jam. <laughs> have to change the theme song. Millsy, we're back in the saddle again. Mm-hmm. We have th- no westerns, though. No. No, sir. I mean... Don't let that saddle comment confuse Possibly you. the exact opposite of a western? One could say that at the time these movies were made, their subject matter was the Wild West. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying here. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> I'm trying to connect the dots. I, I would read that term paper you write about the... <laughs> Mills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Episode 26. Cyber insecurity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are we giving the people? <laughs> These are films about technology, the future, the internet, and all that good stuff in a time before most people really knew what the fuck any of that meant. True story. So... The obvious pairing here are both from 1995, The Net, starring Sandra Bullock, and Hackers, starring Angelina Jolie and Johnny Lee Miller. And then joining those two films for the trio, Sneakers, which is a little less to do with the internet and more just technology in general. Mm -hmm. But when I came up with this list, I think that one jumped to mind because all three of these movies have... Like, there was a certain period in time where, especially if you go back and look at it, any computer screen you look at in a movie about technology from the 90s, for the most part, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't look real. (laughs) Not not even remotely. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing that all three of these movies, well, I mean, I had never seen The Net before, but it's one that I knew was from the same time period, was about the same kind of subject matter. And I knew had a questionable reputation, especially as as time has gone on, Mm -hmm. uh, concerning its uh, reality, right? (laughs) Where the internet is concerned, but um, yeah, I think that was the thing that uh, brought these three together for me was just the uh, questionable representation of Mm -hmm. things that nowadays we're all very familiar with, and how kind of silly they seem going back and looking at them in these films. I mean, they're. I mean, if you boil it down, it's technology, it's hackers, it's internet. I mean, and all these threes, these three movies all have it. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mills, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. What is your history with computers and the internet? <laughs> uh, we had a computer in my house, gosh. In the 90s, it was not hooked up to the internet. I don't exactly know why we had it. Pretty much the only thing that we ever used it for was, uh, like, typing up documents for, like, school papers and things Mm -hmm. and printing them out. Uh, It was a Tandy. 
okay. which is a brand that uh, I would imagine most people don't remember. Uh, I The only one I ever witnessed in my own life was the one that we had. Yeah. I'm going to say that's like a fake computer. That's like something your dad got (laughs) off the back of a pickup truck somewhere. So I don't know where the Tandy came from. I remember like in my mind the day that my dad was like hooking it up and Mm -hmm. he was like the tech savvy one at the time. Not the case anymore. But um, our second computer and the first one we ever had the internet on, we didn't get until like the early 2000s. Like we weren't, I was in high school. Before we got it, I don't remember what variety of computer it was, but it's funny that you mentioned buying it out of the back of a pickup truck because we didn't do that. (laughs) But I vividly remember, and I could like take you to this place because I remember where it is. Um, Somewhere like right over the the state line into Pennsylvania, there's a barn. Yes. (laughs) And a guy, I don't know how we found out about this guy, but he sold computers out of his this barn. Can you like, hear literally me? like a big red barn? Can you hear me rubbing my hands together? Like, ooh, yes. Tell me <laughs> that's more. what that sound is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So our first internet accessible computer, which was you know dial up modem, was bought out of a out of some guy's barn. Like, literally must have held horses or something, or cows at one point. Yes. And so, yeah, we, uh, I think my first real experiences with the internet was, like, at friends' houses and uh, maybe in school a little bit. But uh, I would say around, like, 2001, hmm. we we got the internet in my house, and it's all been downhill from there. Nice. What about yourself? I'm going to say, I'm just going to throw this out here, mid-90s. We didn't have a computer. This is going to sound totally weird. Uh-huh, I'm ready. We didn't. Ha- we didn't have a computer, but we had a keyboard that you could hook up to a TV oh. and type things on. It was like a, I still remember you could type things on the keyboard onto like the TV that like turned into like a, just a blue screen. Mm-hmm. You could type things, but that's it. Like you weren't saving them, printing them. Doing anything. What was the point? I don't I don't know. I'd have to ask my brother. All I can remember is like I feel like one time I typed like I don't even know, some mid nineties juvenile like journal entry, and then I was like, Oh well, I can't do anything with it. And I just like unplugged the thing and kept kept it moving. Oh. And then I also remember in addition to that, my brother used to like draw buildings on it using like hyphens and dashes and <laughs> all that like he, he could uh-huh. like construct a building doing that but then that was it it was just like for show and then it isn't it amazing the things that we used to do to entertain ourselves oh. back before the internet mostly we are the best um generation for sure because we've <laughs> seen the worst and still enjoy <laughs> the best you know uh-huh so i'll say that Till I die that, you know, we know what we came from, which is like, oh, yeah, I used to type stuff into a keyboard for no reason just because I could, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So uh, there have to there has to have been some application for that. Like you must oh, have yeah. been able to also hook up a printer oh, of or something. Course. And you guys of just course. only had the yeah, keyboard. Yeah, of course. We just had the keyboard. Like, again, probably, you know, someone got nefariously. Who knows? But 
I would love to know under what circumstances you guys ended up with that. Thing. I have like, to ask my brothers if they even remember it. They might just both look at me like sideways, like, well, dude, what are you talking about? But I'll give it a try. For the show, I'll give it a try. <laughs> Please do. Um, from there, in high school, so I graduated in 2000. So I'm going to say probably 98. Yeah, like 1998 when I was in junior year was when like, we were officially like upperclassmen in in our graphic design shop, so we were on the computers all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was like legitimately like I sat down, and like one computer out of like the ten there was like hooked up to the internet, so you could get mm-hmm. on that. And I legitimately, Millsy, I was like, "What the fuck is the internet?" <laughs> like I did like it was completely new to me. And Millsy, this will sound nuts. I still have, I sat this first time I ever sat down on a computer and like browsed the internet. Yeah. I was like, I can still remember being like, oh, you can just like type in things and find stuff. And then there's a <laughs> printer and you can print out pictures. I'll have to show you sometime because I still have a folder from that day in shop. I printed out like, I don't even know, six or seven pages of just what was I into at the time? Like anime. So I just have like random, like <laughs> printed out like, I don't even know what websites these would have been on of just like artwork from like dark stalkers and street fighter <laughs> and <clears throat> random internet stuff. That's funny. Uh, I had a friend in high school before, before I had the internet, this person named Sam knew that I had a, you know, that I was a big fan of like aliens and evil dead and stuff like that at the time. And I remember that she brought into school one day, she had like gone home and gone on IMDb to like the quotes and like trivia pages and just printed those out for like a couple movies I like and brought them in. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, the whole point of the internet is you don't have to have this shit on paper, but I didn't have the internet. So yeah, yeah, totally. This is just like a thing that a friend did. Just crazy shit like early days of the internet. Like I remember a friend of mine who was also a big fan of aliens, um, we would write like uh um like fan fiction together no but it's not like we would like you know co-plot it and then write it out there was i remember there was a story that we wrote like i'm at my house he's at his house and we were on like AOL instant messenger which you know was just text not like you know we weren't like voice chatting or anything mm-hmm. uh this was the days before every computer had a microphone <laughs> or a camera right and um, so we would sit there on AOL Instant Messenger and like I would write like a chunk and then I would email it to him and we were chatting the whole time. So I'd be like, I just sent you the new the new part. And then he would write like his next part and then email it back to me. And we that like we wrote a whole goddamn story that way. That is amazing. Were you much for the uh, the instant messenger back? I, in the re- day? I was not at all. I had like a login, but I'd like ne- like how people our age like. Everything was instant messenger. I just was never that because I never had. It was like years and years before, like I had my own computer in my room. Like, mm-hmm. like I was talking about, like using it in school. Like around like two thousand, I think maybe I grad. Like around the time I graduated, we got like a family computer from Gateway that like someone came to the house and set up. So it, this was even like after dial up. Like it was on to like DSL at that point. I don't think cable mm-hmm. internet was a thing yet, but we definitely started off with DSL. Yeah. And then... Um, Fancy. Yeah, I know. So I never had to go through, like, the, you know, 
crazy dial-up stuff or any of that. Um, well, we had the dial-up where, like, I had an aunt who was in an old folks' home, and she would call, like, almost every day mm-hmm. just to, like, to have something to do and talk to my mom. And I remember there were times where, like, I was on the internet, and then, like, finally I would get off, and my aunt would call, and my mom would be like, oh, she's mad. She thinks that you hate her and, like, tie up the phone so that she can't talk to us or something. <laughs> Because she would call so much, like, yes, not to sound insensitive, but this was like, you know, she was, you know, not in her best frame of mind Mm. and she was under care, but she would call and thought that there was some ill will because I was always like the the phone was always busy. And then she'd be like, why couldn't I get through? And my mom would be like, he's on the Internet. And I don't think she knew what that meant, Uh. but she just knew that I was tying up the phone line and she couldn't get through. (laughs) Ryan has some friend named Internet. He's always talking to (laughs) As but a, you were saying about the uh, the DSL connection? Yeah, so we had DSL. Now, like, I was, I first, I still remember because my first email had 2000 in it. So that was like the year I got it. <laughs> I was even like, what the hell is the email? But, you know, so I had that. And I was big. It's always been art. Like, I have my, uh, like, DeviantArt account is like so old. Like I started that like a <laughs> long, long time ago. So it was mm-hmm. always like hunting down and looking at art. And then I was like a big time, like Napster freak. Oh, not so much. Like I wasn't what I would say a jerk about it. Like I never like downloaded entire albums and burned them or anything. But I like very early on, like was like, Oh my God, I can find like concerts and like live recordings and Millsy, I used to go nuts for that. I probably still have like CDs full of just like live recordings of like all artists I like that I would just burn to CDs. Mm-hmm. Like that was my jam. I feel like I got in like right on the tail end of Napster. Mm-hmm. And so like I downloaded some stuff over the years. I've gone through different phases of like different ways of downloading shit off the Internet. And I've, you know. Uh, unjustly obtained my fair share of music and things over the years, but yeah, uh, yeah, never. I I was like I say, just on the tail end of Napster. I feel like I got into it when it was like all the hubbub was happening and like it was kind of half going away. Mm-hmm. But yeah, AOL Instant Messenger was big for me. Like all my friends were on there, and uh, I a hundred percent did the thing that's like the fucking stereotype where it's like you know, meet a girl on there and start like some fake internet relationship. Mm. And for all I know, it was like a, you know, just another guy, like right. you're just pretending to be a girl. I don't just, know. You but... just throw an ASL at everyone that you come yeah, across. That bullshit. Like, you know, you just, I, I don't even remember how you would find people, oh, but yeah, I have no idea. A hundred percent had one of those like fake internet relationships for a couple of weeks or yeah. a couple of months or something that That's... like that, where all the conversations would be like, what if like I walked into the room right now? What would you do to me? And shit <laughs> that's, like that. That's my boy. <laughs> yeah. It was a dark time on the, the internet. The, the hopeless romantic. <laughs> oh, uh, but anyway, amazing. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not done talking about the internet. <laughs> We have to talk about the movies okay. at some point. Okay, okay. <laughs> well. <clears throat> like so now that we've revealed all of our dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you want to just uh, dive in first one? Yeah, let's do it, man. All right. Uh, from 1992, we have Sneakers. Mm. What's wrong with this country, Marty? Money. You taught me that. 
Evil defense contractors had it, noble causes did not. Politicians are bought and sold like so much chattel. Our problems multiply. Pollution, crime, drugs, poverty, disease, hunger, despair. We throw gobs of money at them. Problems always get worse. Why is that? Because money's most powerful ability is to allow bad people to continue doing bad things at the expense of those who don't have it. I agree. Now, who did you say you were working for? Oh, that's just my day job. Listen, when I was in prison, I learned that everything in this world, including money, operates not on reality, but the perception of reality. Pause it. People think a bank might be financially shaky. Consequence. People start to withdraw their money. Result, pretty soon it is financially shaky. Conclusion, you can make banks fail. I've already done that. Maybe you've read about a few. <laughs> Think bigger. Stock market? Yes. Currency market? Yes. Commodities market? Yes. Small countries? I might even be able to crash the whole damn system. Destroy all records of ownership. Think of it, Marty. No more rich people, no more poor people. Everybody's the same. Isn't that what we said we always wanted? Because you haven't gone crazy, have you? Have you? Who else is going to change the world, Marty? Greenpeace? <laughs> you are crazy. I am a longtime fan of this one. I think uh, I think my dad got me into this one way back because mm. I think he's a fan. Pretty much anything with Robert Redford, you know? Yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you how I got into this one, but also long, long time fan. Mm-hmm. Always loved this movie. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Sneakers, 1992, a security pro finds his past coming back to haunt him when he and his unique team are tasked with retrieving a particularly important item. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, to extrapolate on that a little bit, uh, basically Robert Redford runs a kind of small-time organization where him and a bunch of other like tech heads, uh, the whole idea of a sneaker, quote-unquote, is that like big businesses will pay them to try and like break through their you know, firewalls or their security so that they can see like what areas of their security they need fixed. Right. And then, uh, yeah, so they end up uh, tied up in this, it's a, there's like a box that this scientist has created that can allegedly break like any code known to man. And of course everybody wants it and they get mixed up with, you know, some Russians and some hackers and the government and all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. the real, like, thing about this movie that I really think that I love and have always been attracted to is the cast. Just an awesome ensemble cast of characters. Hands down. Because you got your Robert Redford in the lead role. Yep. You've got Sidney Poitier, who's awesome. He's, like, the second in command. Mm -hmm. Dan Aykroyd is really fun. He's like a conspiracy theorist, computer nerd kind of guy. River Phoenix is like the kind of hip young gun of the group. Mm -hmm. And um, David Strathairn, who I've seen here and there. Like, I know he's in the recent Godzilla movies. Mm -hmm. I don't know a lot of what he's done. uh, He's a bit of a that guy actor. Yeah, a little bit. 
But uh, he really stands out in this movie as like one of the really memorable things for me about it. Just mm-hmm. his character where he's blind, but he's like, you know, super knowledgeable about all this stuff. And like his the fact that he is blind doesn't really hold him back at all. And he's like one of the smartest, most clever members of the group. Yeah. Like saves the day several yeah. times. You know. It's just a fun ragtag group of guys, which anytime you have a movie that's like, uh, you know, the team that you're rooting for, be it something like crazy action packed, like Mission Impossible, and you've got like a team of dudes who work together similar to this with like technology and all. Or e- this movie even honestly, maybe partially because of Dan Aykroyd, gives me Ghostbuster vibes. Like this team of guys, they're like low rent and like even the place that they work out of, it's like a like a um, studio apartment or like an abandoned warehouse brick building that they work out of. That's kind of like thrown together. Reminds me of the Ghostbusters firehouse oh, totally, and everything. Totally. And I think that's like just that the tone. The movie has like a pretty light tone, mm-hmm. considering that it deals with like murder and espionage. Uh, there's always a lot of humor throughout, and just that like fun group of guys. And yeah, the whole feeling of the movie I've yeah. always really loved. Same here. I mean, I going like far, far back, I've always loved heist movies, which I say mm-hmm. this counts as as well. Oh, for for sure. Yeah. I mean, the honestly, the end of the movie, it feels like this coming out a couple years before Mission Impossible. This I really wonder, because I've never watched any of the old Mission Impossible TV shows, so I don't know how close the movies are to it and like their crazy heist scenes. Yeah, same here. But the end of this movie feels like it's like a prototype for the uh the heist scene in the first Mission Impossible where they're like dangling Tom Cruise from the ceiling. Yeah, totally. I mean this yeah, like you said, this is more just uh like a lesser kind of version of a big action movie. Yeah. And it's not really going for action um, per se. It's more of just like an espionage thriller. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when they get to the end and like everyone has their job and it's like uh, River Phoenix running around in the air ducts and on top of elevators and elevator shafts. um, And then the whole thing about, uh, you know, they, they lay out beforehand, like, well, there's these motion sensors in the office that you need to be in. So you have to move like less than two inches a second. Otherwise you'll be caught. And also there's heat sensors. So we have to raise the temperature in the room to body temperature. Otherwise you'll set that off. And like, it all feels like a slightly less extreme version of like a mission impossible heist, which is something I don't know if I ever really put together about it before. No, but, I never have until you just said it now. So I, yeah, def- I really totally see what you're saying. Like, I didn't know exactly what year this movie came out. I knew it was 90s. And I looked it up and I was thinking to myself, if this came out before Mission Impossible, I wonder if it had an influence. Mm. I feel like it it might have. Just with like the the little bit of levity and the, the fun group and everything. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it until now to watch for the show. I never would have thought this was 92. I was sure it was newer than that. Yeah, I would have thought mid nineties, yeah. but yeah, because it doesn't 92. feel old. Doesn't feel like a movie from ninety two at all Mm-mm. for me. But you say, and to like everything you said, like this, like this is the way you write a movie for an ensemble cast, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's like there's you know a whole group of players, so they all you know you got to give them all their own personalities and things to do, and they're just all written really well for limited screen time because there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, I hate to even say it. it's like one of those things you don't see anymore, but it's like, <laughs> they don't make them like they used no, to back I in just, 1992. I really think this movie's written so well. 
Mm-hmm. And like you said, the great cast. I mean, and it, it, it even feels like, because I could have seen this when I was 10 years old in 92. So, I mean, it, it never felt like, um, like too much for me as a mm-hmm. kid. But like watching it now, like I picked up on way more things than the last time I watched it, which has been a while. Well, it's funny. One of the things that I read like trivia wise about this movie is that uh, because of the light tone and everything, they were actually concerned that the movie would be perceived as a like a movie meant for kids. Oh, wow. Instead of like a serious movie for adults. Uh So they actually the uh, director added in a bunch of cursing into the dialogue so that it wouldn't get a G rating. Oh, wow. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, Which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, I could see. I mean, there's barely any violence, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's you know a little bit of murder, a little bit, but um, yeah, there, there's nothing really graphic, and even down like something else adding to the tone that I've always liked about this movie for whatever reason is you know there's a opening scene where. It's not actually Robert Redford and Ben Kingsley in the opening scene. They did a pretty good job of finding like lookalikes for them and oh. then dubbing in uh, the real actors' dialogue over them. Big time. For the scene where they're younger. But it's basically, uh, it starts with Robert Redford and Ben Kingsley. They're like high or, uh, college students in like the 60s, I think, like late, late 60s. Yep. And they're in like computer mainframes and they're like hackers and they're just like kind of playing, playing pranks and, you know, trying to like, change the world for the better, like stealing from the rich and giving to the poor kind of thing, using computers. And Robert Redford like steps out to get pizza for them. And then the cops show up and arrest Ben Kingsley and he goes away to prison and they like don't speak again. And later on in the movie, Ben Kingsley turns out to be the main villain at the end. But I, I've always loved the fact that it's not like Ben Kingsley just wants to murder Robert Redford for like what, what he did to him or how he, let him take the fall or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he even threatens him at the end, but he can't pull the trigger. Uh, but there's like this little bit of camaraderie between them still, even though their, you know, viewpoints have changed over the years that they've been apart from one another. Totally. But just the fact that Ben Kingsley isn't just like a conniving evil, like, mm. you know, Alan Rickman in, uh, you know, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves kind of villain. True, true. That's a great reference. I've, I've always, <laughs> I've always kind of dug that. Well, he's just like the epitome yeah. of the asshole bad guy. Totally. So I've always liked that about it. And uh, yeah, this is a movie I've, I feel like I've seen many times over the years. I don't know how true that is because while I've owned it on DVD for a long time, I found rewatching it that most of what I remember about the film is from the final act, like the the last third of the movie. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of cool, really memorable moments and things from this film for me, like the heist at the end, stuff that are like stand out for me, like uh, when Whistler, the blind guy, has to drive the car at the end. uh, Totally, because they they really just drove that utility truck (laughs) over all those medians, you know? Yeah, and smash into a bunch of cars in a parking lot. Yep. Like, I always loved that scene. Um, I always loved uh, the concept behind... uh, Robert Redford's character gets like knocked out and thrown in a trunk and then he like wakes up while they're driving and later Whistler, since he's blind and he's so used to just using his hearing, he's like helping Robert Redford to determine based on the sounds he heard in Mm -hmm. the trunk, like what bridge they were going over and what tunnel they were going through so that they can like track back where he was taken when he was in the trunk. A little shit like that. All that like feels believable enough, even if it's like Mm -hmm. complete nonsense. Yeah. It's presented in such a way that like I could buy that. I could buy yeah. like 
you know, this guy that's blind is hearing, you know, it's attuned a little. He's like just that smart. Like the technology they use, we'll get into it with the other movies and just current movies about <laughs> technology. But like, yeah, this one feels like homegrown. It feels like legitimate. Yeah. You know, and it's like for the time in the early 90s, surely some of the, sh- the stuff that they were doing was like a little bit encroaching on science fiction or like not realistic, like too advanced or Mm -hmm. too easy to pull off. Totally. But you know, it's almost like a movie shorthand that they use, but it's still the tech and like all the gadgetry and stuff in this movie feels so much more tactile. And there's something refreshing about that. Where like, I mean, it's something I don't like to complain about, but it does grate on my nerves a little bit that like, you know, ever since Minority Report, I feel like mm. every movie about the future like has to have floating, you know, like hologram screens, yeah, yeah user like, interfaces of nonsense. Yeah, and even Minority Report being one of the first ones to do it, I like the tactile feel of having to put on those gloves to manipulate yes. the screens. Yes, but especially since Iron Man, and it's like in Iron Man in the Marvel universe, I accept it because it's well established that they have like all kinds of crazy hologram computer technology Mm -hmm. and everything but like these days it's just shorthand that if your movie is supposed to take place like in the very near future or beyond just like everything is like hologram computers and like fake technology that doesn't exist and it's like it encroaches a little bit into some of the mission impossible movies to a point where like i get a little annoyed with some of those sequences But especially, like, that's the other thing that really makes this feel like the first Mission Impossible to me is, like, the tactile, real nature of this Mm -hmm. stuff. Not everything is just done on a computer from across the world. It's like they have to go in and use a combination of technology and, like, skill and luck to accomplish their goals. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, I mean, we could probably record a bonus episode about just computers and user interface stuff in movies and how it probably drives both of us nuts when do you have a free evening seriously i mean <laughs> we could because it makes me think back to like older movies a big one for me that like from when i was younger was like that i thought was cool was alien how it's like spaceship all that gadgetry but everything's still like you know rows and rows of buttons and there's smaller mm-hmm. screens like okay blade runner is another one you know like that's still has that tactile feel when mm-hmm. as we got into the late 90s especially mid mid to late 90s is when things got out of control with well i th- i think it's a case of like i can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head but if you go back far enough it's like in an era where we had you know early computers but we were still using like cassette tapes and reel to reel for certain things if you tried to imagine a future that's not too ridiculous or unbelievably advanced, then you would end up with a movie where like 20 years in the future, you still have to like insert a tape into a computer to like make it do something because technology wasn't advancing quite as fast back then. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everything was still very tactile, like we've been saying. But then when you get to the point where it's like throughout the two thousands, technology is advancing so fast, you know, um, VR technology and voice control of everything and phones getting really tiny and in your pocket and able to do anything that a computer can do. It's like 
technology has advanced so much in such a short amount of time that to look into the future, it feels like, well, if we went from flip phones to like the modern iPhone over the course of like 15 years, then if we look 20 years into the future, we're going to have like, we're all going to be living in the matrix. Like, right. right. So like, I understand why and how it happens, but there is something I miss. Like I would love if someone would make a movie that's legitimately supposed to take place in the future, but had that look of alien again with oh, like absolutely. just big clunky keyboards and stuff like just as a design choice. It doesn't have to be logical because, mm-hmm. yes, we're not going to revert back to like old, you know, big clunky old computers. But like it'd be nice if everything wasn't just like glowing blue floating holograms yes. that you wave your arms around right, in front right. of all the time like, these like days. Pointless f- finger poking and waving and. Yeah. Pinching and twirling. I will give that the Iron Man movies are like <laughs> pinching and twirling. That's that's the name of my uh, one man show. <laughs> I'll give it to the Marvel movies. They do it the best because at least it like and like I say, it's it's long established at this point. Yeah. Now, Iron Man does feel like it was like early on mm-hmm. and everything else is now mimicking it just because they can. True. To, to not as good results. But yeah, again, that's for the uh, bonus podcast. <laughs> now that we've spent 10 minutes on it. <laughs> yeah, so like watching it this time, I don't remember the last time I watched the movie, but I really feel like there was a lot of stuff in the first um like hour and 15 minutes that I wasn't as like clear on in my memory. But yeah, like all, all that stuff in the end is like the really standout stuff that feels iconic to me, probably because I saw the movie when I was pretty young and watched it a number of times, like throughout the nineties, another big one for me is, uh, Steven Tobolowsky's part. And, um, uh, Mary McDonald having to get him to say those words yes. into a recorder so oh. that they can use it for the voice matching. Like that is like a big standout thing in my mind that I think of when I think of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I love that whole section Yep. And how that plays out. And it's just another excuse to put some humor into the movie where he's like the biggest dorky nerd on the planet. And Mm -hmm. she's totally out of his league, but she's like the only person that they have on hand that can go out on a date with him. And I mean, we like are so aligned about this movie because like I think of the same things like the the climax, like the third act, like that part in particular with the the voice ID has like always Mm -hmm. stuck out in my head like. I feel like that would that could have been without even seeing this movie again, not seeing it in probably ten years, like I could probably like verbatim say like there that that like scene when they're in the restaurant and she's trying to get him to say passport, like you know, like that's just <laughs> always been funny to me. I've always liked that so much. There's this word that I've always found yeah. so sexy. <laughs> passport. passport. He's like passport. <laughs> He's <laughs> so perfect for a role like that too. <laughs> oh, like the, One of the all-time, uh, like, that guy actors, Stephen yeah. Tobolowsky. Ned oh. Ryerson from uh, Groundhog Day. Oh, there you go. That'd be just great. Whoever the casting each on this movie, well done. And it's so funny. Like, we're talking about the ensemble cast and how fun everybody is and all. So when I was reading a little bit about this movie, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky did an interview in 2012 with Slate Magazine because they were doing, like, a 20th anniversary of sneakers, like series of articles or something. Mm-hmm. And he talks at length about how it's one of the most fun sets that he's ever been on. Mm. And it was like so easy to make that movie. And then 
I actually read that the director, Phil Alden Robinson, said uh, near the end of the filming that the only way that the experience could have been better is if the studio lab accidentally lost all the film and they just had to film oh, it all over again awesome. because they all had so much fun. <laughs> and yeah, you never hear shit like that oh, great never, about a never, production. Never. But, and it just comes through in like how much fun it is and how playful it is. I love mm-hmm. uh, Sidney Poitier and Dan Aykroyd's Oh, they're like back, back and, and forth. forth. Yep. Yeah. It's like <laughs> Sidney those... Poitier just can't stand yeah. how crazy Dan Aykroyd is. Just like those just like little character bits I feel like you just don't get anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? It's just it's so perfect. It adds so much to the movie, to the characters, everything. It's just a sprinkling all that little extra on there for us. Yeah. Mills. Um, mm-hmm. do you know what triple threat alumni appears in this movie? Uh, gosh, I, back in the first like eight episodes, I could come up with this stuff real easy. <laughs> yeah. At this point, I'm not sure who in this has appeared in something else we've seen. It is, uh, prob- let's say goon number two with the mustache, Timothy Busfield. Uh, who was that? Poindexter in Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, gosh. Now, see, I remember when we did the <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds episode, <laughs> right. and you were trying to, like, explain yeah. to me, like, who this guy was. And even after I looked at a picture of him, I didn't recognize him. <laughs> I never would have caught that. He's like that. a quintessential that guy actor for me. Yeah, he's just like, I'm sure I've seen him in stuff like this, obviously, but mm-hmm. I never make that connection with him for whatever reason. Um, another another person who I never realized it was this person in this movie before is Donald Logue as like the, yeah. the scientist. And I looked it up. This is his first ever oh, no acting way. credit in a movie or TV show is Sneakers. You know, like you were saying how like, you know, seeing this when we were younger and like all the iconic scenes, but like you forget parts of it. I completely forgot about the the first heist of stealing that box from him. Yeah, same here. Completely forgot. That's fun too, though. Where like the like sexy Russian scientist mm. comes in, and then they're all like wanting to get a peek through the mm-hmm. the viewfinder of the camera and everything. Yeah, and Dan Aykroyd's like outside the window, mm-hmm. and then like uh, Robert Redford has to go into his office. He just kicks the door in, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. It's so good. This movie, speaking of that scene, does have a couple instances of the obligatory. Uh, like zooming far too in and clearing up a photo way too much, like the enhance button, which oh. is like, I feel a yeah. a stereotype of these kind of like tech thriller movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's things like that. We're like, eh, can I really do that? Nope. Not even close. No, they can't even no do way, that no. today. Yeah. <laughs> and gosh, speaking like there's, how have we not mentioned yet that uh, James Earl Jones oh, is in this? I mean, what a cameo. I mean, I know who called in the favors, you know, and another one of my favorite parts of this movie. I love that ending scene where they're all requesting the things that they want from the government for mm-hmm. handing over the box. Yeah, it's just it's such a good ending and it's so lighthearted. It is. And, and man, it, it's great. It makes me think because when Armageddon rolled around and they have basically the same kind of scene mm. like that warmed my heart just because it made me think of this one because I loved this so much. Like growing up. Yeah. You know. That that never occurred to me. Oh, yeah. But big fan. I mean, James Earl Jones. I mean, he's in it, you know, for what? Two and a half minutes? He's Wait. on screen for one scene, and you hear his voice in one other scene, <laughs> yeah. and that's it. Even then, I even forgot. When he's on the phone, I completely forgot he's at the end. Like, it was like the perfect, like, viewing experience for me, because it's like, 
you know, just going through it, I forgot that that was him on the phone, you know, when he shows up later. Like, I forgot mm-hmm. all about that scene, too. When they, when, like, Dan Aykroyd has the the uh, machine to to check the stress in his voice. Yeah. You know? Another one that I, mm, <laughs> right. I don't know if I buy that. <laughs> but it's, like, presented enough, like, again, it's, like, those kind of things. Yeah, I'm cool with it because it it's it's not just a computer screen showing like random CGI wavelengths or something. Right, it's right. it's an actual physical machine like printing out paper that he's looking at and mm-hmm. I don't know, something about that. Maybe that's a dumb thing to, you know, say makes something better or worse, but for me personally, that adds something just like the real clunky machinery and something just it feels too easy to just have everything on a computer, which a lot Definitely. of movies do now. And everything is on a computer now. So it's like, how can you criticize that? But mm-hmm. like visually in a movie, it's more interesting to me to have like a gadget. Yeah. Totally. 100%. Yeah, man. Yeah, this is one I just, I've always loved this movie. Um, It's so fun. It was such a blast revisiting it and even like rediscovering those other parts of the film that I had kind of forgotten about since the last time I saw it. Mm -hmm. I would highly recommend this to anybody. If you haven't seen Sneakers, you're really missing out on one of the great early 90s just movies in general. Mm -hmm. Amazing cast, just a lot of fun. I couldn't say it any better, Mills. Yeah, I just can't imagine someone watching this and being like, eh, it wasn't that great. No, yeah, please. It's got like lots of great music cues and stuff too. Like oh, the yeah, the music in this is great. Oh, it really is. I feel like there's a lot of stuff, and again, maybe it's just my sensibility from growing up in the 90s, but I feel like there's a lot of 90s movies, even newer ones that I'm discovering these days from doing this show or uh, you know, reviewing older movies uh, like Jesse and I have been doing on Sidetracked for the last couple of years. But uh, just movies with like kind of more standout scores, whereas a lot of stuff these days I feel like sounds very similar. Mm-hmm. And it, once upon a time, it used to feel like movies had like recognizable themes, like a lot of Danny Elfman stuff and things. And and this one's a little harder to quantify than like the Beetlejuice theme song or something. Right. But this movie definitely, when like as soon as I pop it in and I hear the music, it puts me back in that place of like. Yeah, this is a score that feels like solely in and of this film. Yeah, absolutely. It fits the tone like perfectly. Yeah, barring like the Avengers main theme. Like I'm not really sure what there is today that kind of fits that bill. I mean, I'd be I'd be hard pressed to come up with anything. Yeah. But hey, Sneaker's soundtrack is good. Mhm. Yeah, just check this movie out. Mhm. Uh, for shits and giggles, a uh, budget of $35 million, which seems like a lot. I, I wonder how much... That must have been a lot for the cast. Yeah, probably. Box office, 105.2, so okay. uh, it was pretty popular at the time. Yeah, I could dig it. Makes sense. I mean, Robert Redford was, like, just always kind of hot in the streets, wasn't he? I think so, especially yeah. back, like, 70s, 80s, 90s period, for mm-hmm. sure. And it's funny, you mentioned earlier when I brought up James Earl Jones, like, who was calling in the favors for the cast. It just caught my eye. Uh, the director uh, also directed Field of Dreams, so that's probably oh, how James Earl Jones wow. ended up okay. in it. All right, all right. So there you go. Cool. Uh, shall we move on to our next film? Yes, let's. All right, so as I mentioned earlier, the next two both came out in 1995, but 
The Net came out first in July 1995. All right. Hmm. The scariest son of a bitch is he is the guys behind the keyboards at worst. The Praetorians. That first good lead. We've been chasing them for years. But look, we have to move like ASAP here, so I want you to start sketching me a quick background, all right? Okay. Um... Like, uh... Instance, how the hell did you access this system in the first place? I didn't. A uh, programmer at Cathedral, he sent the disc to me. <laughs> yep. Goddamn disc. That's what kick-started all this, huh? Angie. Angie, tell me. Did you make a copy of the disc? I mean, before it was ruined in Mexico. catching these bastards. Did you talk to anyone? Give copies of the disc to anyone. You guys are amazing sons of bitches. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> How'd you know it was ruined? How'd you know it was ruined? I only told Devlin it was ruined. How'd you know it was ruined? Huh? What's your name? You're not even with the FBI. Is your name bad? You know what? It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. You know, ever since I touched that disc, I've been running from like one nightmare to the next. You know what? I'm tired. I'm out of it. I'm so I'm so out of it. I'm tired of it. So this one I had personally never seen before. How about you? Same. I was very aware of what it was. I knew it was Sandra Bullock and, you know, her fighting the internet or whatever. So <laughs> Sandra Bullock versus the internet. <laughs> I remember when this movie came out that there was like a lot of talk about it. It was like a big hubbub. Just like it was, I, it was popular at the time. This had a budget of twenty-two million and made one hundred and ten point six in the box office. I feel like it was like the hot movie of the minute. Sandy Bullock was like coming off of Speed, and this was like her first big, like main starring role after that. And uh, it's just a movie that, for whatever reason, I never saw. And for many years now, even though I feel like it has a stigma of being like corny and time hasn't been kind to it or whatever Mm -hmm. i've wanted to see it for a long time because i just felt like it was something i oddly missed out on and i like a good you know mainstream thriller sure for me it's totally why this podcast works so well like for us and me even in particular this would be a movie i would watch and would have like the same feeling but would never pull the trigger on yeah probably just never get around it could it could be on whatever and i would just be like eh Nah, I'll catch it some other time, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, kind of same for me. So the question then is, was it worth the time to go back and track down and watch? Um, For the sake of this show, I would say yes. What about just in general? Um, No. No, I don't <laughs> think so. No. <laughs> I will say I like Sandra Bullock. I think mm-hmm. she's kind of good and everything that I've seen her in, you know, like she brings something to her movies for me. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, she basically does carries all the, the weight of this one. You yeah. know, she's, she's on screen 94% of the time. Um, it's this movie just kind of falls, just falls like, so kind of like what we're talking about, just like smack dab in the middle of the nineties. And it, in a painful way Mm -hmm. that I wish 
you know, it, it almost like some, watching something like this, I almost wish I could like go back in time and, and know like what the, like what the world felt like to see how much <laughs> sense this made. Yeah. Cause like watching it now, I'm just like, Oh boy. Like that is something I thought about a lot during this and especially hackers. Like yeah. at the time, did this seem like realistic or plausible? Because right. I mean, the whole idea, like, so the premise of this movie is um, Sandra Bullock, despite being one of the most beautiful specimens on the planet, is like a quiet, introverted uh, woman who more or works. Less a, yeah, a recluse, really. Yeah, she works from home. Uh, she does like independent, like. Um, bug detection like so people the companies will send her like games and files and things and then she checks them for bugs and you know that's basically what she does and she's so much of an introverted person that it's an important plot point later in the movie when her identity is stolen by this like evil illuminati of computer hackers that uh like no, but when they've changed her identity, like they've gone in and they've changed her social security information to have like a different name. Mm-hmm. There is literally only one person in the entire state that she lives in who can verify who she is. And that's her ex-boyfriend played by Dennis Miller because they set it up that she has no contact with anybody. She like never leaves the house. Uh, her mother has Alzheimer's, so doesn't remember who she is. So there's like, no one. Once once they get in and they change their files, there's like not a single person who can prove who she is. And that's like it's a little tough to swallow. I mean, it's convenient for the plot. I mean, it's one of like the more convenient things overall, I feel like I've seen in a long time. Where it's yeah. it only works. This movie only works the way it does because of Because these, of that. Because yeah. of that. And again, it's like for whatever reason. I have no problem watching like Jingle All the Way and buying that Arnold Schwarzenegger at, looks like a bodybuilder but is just like a an, an executive at a at a company, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why I have no problem buying that. There's a suspension of disbelief there. Maybe because typically when I'm watching Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, you know, I feel like they're largely not meant to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. But then this movie going in the opposite direction it's just impossible to me when you see Sandra Bullock, just most beautiful woman in the world, especially like on the beach. And she's supposed to be this woman who never leaves her house, but she's like got a tan Mm -hmm. and she's like just gorgeous. And I find it so hard to believe that she just like sits at home and eats pizza and plays on the computer all day. Right. Yeah. I mean that, that actually makes sense as far as, um, you know, they sell her as like the recluse, but then it's like, now she just wants to go hang around the beach by herself for a week. Mm-hmm. Cause she never takes vacation. I mean, that's no, that I get, but just like, like I said, Arnold Schwarzenegger, physical specimen. There's no reason he needs to be as huge as he is to mm-hmm. be just like an ad exec with a family. Mm-hmm. Sandra Bullock's character, like who she is supposed to be mm-hmm. and what she actually physically is. I kind of don't buy <laughs> Like that just might be your crush on Sandra Bullock talking, Melzy. <laughs> you just think about like, um, like uh, to go to another extreme, um, Lisbeth Salander from the Dragon Tattoo movies. Like she's a hacker, mm-hmm. and she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't look like Sandra Bullock. I mean, both actresses who have played her in the films are attractive, but mm. just 
Sandra Bullock looks like she stepped out of like a photo shoot for like some, you know, fashion magazine. And she's supposed to be like the reclusive slack. Uh, uh, yeah, slacker, hacker, slacker, hacker. <laughs> yeah. Um, not to get too hung up on it, but that's just something throughout the movie. I was just like, God, she's too beautiful for this. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Millsy angle if I've ever heard one. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, so basically uh, somebody, one of her contacts sends her a disc. It's like a game or something um, that a company is producing. And there's like a little pie symbol down in the corner of the screen. And when you click on it, it like allows you to hack into like any government server or whatever. Mm. And so she accidentally stumbles upon this like, you know, cyber terrorist threat. And then they want to, you know, get the disc back from her and capture her. And so the way that they decide to do this is alienate her from everybody. So she can't go to the cops and whatever. So they steal her identity and, uh, in the way that I was kind of comparing sneakers to Mission Impossible, I feel like this movie is the um, '90s cyber thriller answer to The Fugitive. Oh, totally! Like one person on the run, nowhere yeah. to turn. There was times watching this where I was like, eh, I wish I was watching The Fugitive. Yeah, all this movie was really missing was a Tommy Lee Jones kind of character. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'll say back to like the technology angle i mean again this is 95 i was 13 like i didn't know what the internet was so if i saw this movie back then i probably would have been like what is going on i was like wait did she just order a pizza on the computer that's something i wanted to talk about yeah which i'm like come come on all right now let's let's think on this for a second yes Because I saw that, and the movie came out in 95, so it was probably filmed in 94, and I was thinking to myself, could you order pizza on the internet back in 1995? So I actually did a little research, because I was very curious about this. The first ever online pizza ordering that you were capable of doing was released by Pizza Hut in 1994. Really? In 1994, you could go online and you could order food from Pizza Hut. And I wanted more information about this, so I did a deep dive on Google. And I found myself on a Reddit page where some people were discussing this. And multiple people were confirming that this was a thing you could do. And there were people who used to work at Pizza Hut during this time period and were claiming that the way that it worked was unlike now where if you like order a pizza from somewhere, then they get like a ping at their, you know, the local shop and they see it on the screen and they make it or whatever. Apparently the way that it used to work in the archaic 1990s is that they had one single hub somewhere in the United States. And if you ordered a pizza, cause it was so infrequent, not many people were doing it at the time. If you ordered a pizza, that order pinged on a computer that like some fucking person had to sit at all day long. And when your order came up, they would print it out Mm. and then they would fax it to whichever (laughs) pizza place was near you that needed to make the pizza. Yes. And that is how you could order pizza online from pizza hut in 1994. I mean, and now look mills, we got people delivering food off the internet to your house. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've I've ordered plenty of food off my phone before. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I mean, well, I mean, it kind of goes back to me just not knowing any better. Like, 
I would have never after before you just telling me that I would have been sure like the internet wasn't even available to the public in 1994. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was as or as late or as early as the late 80s, like, like in some form. Like how? Like how did someone even get on the internet? Dial up in a computer, I believe. Like, was America Online like already a thing? That that kind of specifics, I don't know. I but, need to know. Yes. I mean, the thing is, in the '90s, not everybody had the internet. Like everybody, like you know, for the most part, everybody, like in the U- the U.S. at least, has it. But um, like even in the, like early 2000s, like I said, we didn't get the internet until probably like 2001, 2002. Mm. But you know, it, uh, her character in the movie is like a very computer savvy person, so I buy that. It's just it is surprising that Pizza Hut saw a a a market that they could provide a service to totally in 1994 for online pizza ordering. I mean, that might be the most mind blowing thing about this entire episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was very curious about that myself. That was the first thing I wrote down to look up when I was watching the movie. <laughs> I was like, is this possible? Apparently it is. Look yeah. at that. All right. Yeah, the technology in this one feels relatively believable i mean a lot of the computer uh, imagery yeah. still didn't look particularly believable yeah there's a lot of screens in this one that just looked like nonsense yeah but i think the most unbelievable part of this entire movie is that any website or program that these uh like cyber terrorists have their hidden you know computer program virus in mm-hmm Right on the page at the bottom of right hand corner of the screen, there's a little symbol that denotes it yeah. as though like nobody is ever just going to see that and be like, I wonder what that symbol is right. and accidentally click on it. Like that's the that's the dumbest thing yeah. about this movie. That's just the kind of thing where they're like, ah, oh, the average Joe's not going to yeah. <laughs> understand how dumb this is. I feel like how that whole how the virus thing works and that company that made that whole thing doesn't hold up to much scrutiny. No, the more I think about it, because even like throughout the movie, I was just like, wait, why is this? You know, like, why is this happening? Why is this, why is this assassin involved? You know, like, I was even like, how did she end up with the disc? Like, why was that all by chance? You know? Seemingly. I guess. Guy ended up with it. Like, I don't know how the dude ended up with it at Cathedral, which is the name of the, the company that she mainly worked for. Right. Like, so the guy that worked there had it. And mm-hmm. there was a problem with it. So he sent it to her to, like, check. Like, physically sent it, mailed it to her on a disc, a floppy disk. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, just the use of floppy disks throughout all of these movies it's, is off the chain. It's, it's glorious, the amount of floppy yeah. disks. It brought me back. I was like, oh. Like, nowadays we have the cloud. Back then it was all floppy disks. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there was, like, a zip drive in one of these, it would have made my heart stop. <laughs> I don't think they were quite there yet. No. But yeah, so he like physically sends it to her and then she has it and like we're off to the races. But yeah, like Jeremy Northam, who I really only know from this and Mimic, oh. uh, he has been in other stuff, but um, largely only really know him from Mimic personally. Uh-huh. He seems like he's not like a cyber terrorist. He's just working for them. So like the cyber terrorist hired like this British assassin to hunt her yeah, down but he's is like, that what happened i guess but like and he, then he like falls in love with her <laughs> yeah that's like i wasn't sure like how serious is it about this this angle he's trying to play about he wants to be with her but mm-hmm. i don't know it's just very 
There's a lot. A lot in this one that just doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Yeah. I feel like the basic premise is fine. Yeah. You know, it's got a kind of convoluted plot. A bit. Like, the, the thing that the cyber terrorists are actually trying to do is, like, way in the background. Like, the main actual villain of the movie, I think you only ever see on, like, television screens, like, interviews and stuff. And like news news stories, yeah, like yeah, yeah. That main guy who's like in charge of everything, you never really see him do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that I think the biggest problem with this movie is it is just Sandra Bullock by herself the whole time. Like you know, she gets a little bit of help from Dennis Miller, whose character is frustratingly annoying. Mm-hmm. Very but, Dennis Miller of him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. But like I said, this movie was missing the kind of uh, Tommy Lee Jones from The Fugitive kind of character. Because the only person really hunting her is Jeremy Northam, who's a bad guy and who's kind of a creep. But in like in The Fugitive, I'm assuming you've seen that or familiar oh, with that of course, movie. Of course. In The Fugitive, again, just like what we were just talking about in um, in Sneakers how it's like a ragtag group of like fun characters with their own personalities in the fugitive. Tommy Lee Jones has a whole team of people. There's like four or five people with him that are in that movie. And then some of them roll over into the sequel U S marshals who are like fun characters. And they're like a team and he's sending them all off to do different jobs. And in this movie, it's just one asshole trying to chase down one woman for two hours. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's, there's just not, any like side characters for interesting conversations or anything. And it's just right. kind of the same thing over and over again. It feels kind of long. Yeah. Just, there's not like any like real, I mean, the stakes just don't feel particularly high, I guess. Cause it's nothing, mm-hmm. no, like nothing big is happening. Yeah. Cause the whole thing is this cyber terrorism group is trying to like take over the government. Like they're trying to get into like uh, the Pentagon or whatever. And once their gatekeeper security software that actually has a backdoor for them to get in and do the exact opposite of what the software is supposed to do. Like once that's in place, like they'd have access to the entire U S government, but the whole story that we follow is just one woman running for her life in Los Angeles or San Francisco or wherever it is. Mm -hmm. And we only ever see that bigger picture on um, like TV screens. Like I mentioned, like every now and then they'll just fill us in on, what the main bad guy is up to via a news report. And it really feels like this movie is missing some like Michael Bay style, you know, uh, golden hour sun going down (laughs) helicopter rotating around the Pentagon shots or Uh something. It's yeah. It's like a big scale story that's barely touched on. And we just focus on this small little part of it. Right. Cause even like after a while, it's like, why is he even chasing her just to get the disc back? But like, what well, does that point, do? I think that they like, believe that the disc is gone. Like, right. but even then, like, what's on the disc? That's like, is it just the knowledge of this thing, or is it the the program itself? Yeah, I think it's just that she would have physical proof that uh, there's something going on that she could show people. I think. Right. You know, it's a, well. If that's the case, he had like every chance to just like lob a grenade at her and end it. You know, which is why I think they put in that bullshit like it's... subplot about him actually being in love with her. Yeah, which because otherwise he could have just killed her at any minute. So they needed mm-hmm. an excuse for him to want to keep her alive, yeah. I guess. But they they didn't like they did it just enough to be like, wait, he's in love with her. But then they never follows through enough to 
to know if he's serious. Yeah. So, it feels more like some kind of like creepy infatuation because yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's never going to work out anyway because he lied to her. Well, sure. and, he spent like one day together, one night or whatever it was. And then he tried to kill yeah. her. So yeah, the movie has some problems. Yeah. I would love to know what it was like to watch this movie in 1995. Right. right. Like did people run into the streets screaming about this thing called the internet it was coming to get them? <laughs> I do get the impression that this had a little bit of like the, you know, the Y2K effect where people hear about like this is a possibility and it freaks mm-hmm. them out. And that's probably why it worked so well at the time because people didn't know any better. And again, like right. uh, nowadays, you know, having your identity stolen is unfortunately kind of common to yeah. hear about. Oh, totally. But back then it was probably such a foreign concept because we were just entering that era where like everything is online and, mm-hmm. you know. It probably seemed plausible that the Praetorians could come and change your identity. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, is it? Do we blame this movie for people actually referring to the internet as the net, or was it always already in the vernacular? That's why this movie's called the net. I feel like it was probably already in the vernacular. I feel like as far back as you know the existence of the internet, there's been buzzwords like net and web mm-hmm. and stuff like that there's that have always been, around. been some doofus somewhere saying i gotta hop on the net real quick yeah but i feel like this movie probably came out before the net became like a you know passe term for it oh yeah where now nobody says the net i'm gonna hop on the net <laughs> right like nobody nobody says that <laughs> yeah yeah somebody says that now you're like oh okay encino man like mm-hmm. what's wrong with you? yeah mm-hmm. oh the net yeah, a couple other quick things about this one really fast that I didn't know <laughs> until I read about them. Uh, did you know that there was a television spinoff of this film? No, I hate it already. <laughs> it lasted one season on the USA Network from 98 oh, to 99. USA, of course. And I couldn't tell if it was basically just like a remake of the movie or it was supposed to be a sequel. Uh, starred some random actress as the same character Sandra Bullock plays. Mm. And she, again, has her identity stolen and then is on the run. Oh, come on, really? Yep. And uh, this show co-starred a character who went by the name of Sorcerer. And he was like some kind of hacker friend of hers Uh who, for the first 10 episodes, was played by Tim Curry. And then was replaced by somebody else for the rest of the series. I don't know why. I was going to say, was it Lorenzo Lamas? (laughs) I don't think so. I I don't remember who the other person was. And uh, also co-starred uh, Bruce Abbott, who plays um, the other doctor in uh, The Reanimator, who oh. Herbert West is uh, living with. Oh, okay. All right. And did you know that there is a direct-to-video sequel to uh, The Net? No. Called The Net 2.0. I mean, I hate, like, hate <laughs> that this is actually, like, a franchise. Oh, yeah. Uh Released in 2006. Oh, really? this is 10 yeah, years not, later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not really related to the original at all. It's just another story about a female computer technician or whatever who has her identity stolen. This one, I think she like goes to do some work in Afghanistan when it happens or something like that. And uh, oh, topical. the director, <laughs> the director of the net is a man named Erwin Winkler. Mm-hmm. who gave us a bunch of things I've heard of, but is more known as a producer. 
Uh, he produced all the Rocky movies and the Creed movies, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, a whole ton of stuff. Uh, his son, Charles Winkler, directed the uh, the Net 2.0. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> and then apropos of nothing, really, uh, I just found this out while I was reading about the Net. Um, Sandy Bullock, as I said already, very striking woman. Mm-hmm. has apparently had some really unfortunate run-ins with stalkers. Hmm. And I just thought it was wild that there were so many cases of this. So allow me to give you the history of Sandra Bullock's stalkers. Oh, okay. Uh, in 2002, a man named Thomas Jane Weldon was stalking her and approaching her all the time, so she put a restraining order on him. Three years later, he returned in 2006, and again, she had to put a restraining order on him. In the year 2007... A woman named Marcia Diana Valentine, Sandra Bullock's husband, walked out of their house and found her laying on their lawn oh. like she was unconscious. And when he approached her to try and help her, she jumped up, ran, jumped into her car, and then tried to run him over on her their front lawn. What the fuck? Because she's some kind of crazy fan of Sandra Bullock who, like, hated her husband because, like, he... I don't know. He was keeping her from her or something like that. Uh, She got three years probation. That's it? (laughs) And then in 2014, a guy named Joshua James Corbett actually broke into Sandra Bullock's home. And she was able to lock herself in a room and call 911. And he was arrested. Mm. And then uh, he failed to show up for a court date. And so the police went to his parents' house where he was living in, like, the the pool house or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he refused to come out, and they called SWAT. And there was a five-hour standoff. And when they finally launched gas canisters into the house and went in, they found that he had committed suicide. Jesus. So Sandy Bullock, watch out. She's driving people wild. She's had some some bad luck. Man, I can't. I mean, I hope she's armed to the teeth at this point. I mean, she said to lock herself in her own bathroom. She's just too, just too alluring. That's Sandy Bullock. I mean, Milsey. <laughs> keep, keep these people away from your crush. <laughs> sorry to, sorry to bring the show down. <laughs> she was in like 20, 2015 or twenty sixteen named uh, uh, People Magazine's Most Beautiful Woman of the Year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just that's just crazy. <laughs> I can't believe she had to lock herself in her own house. I know, man. Family just members getting run over on their own lawn. Has, I mean, has imagine? nothing to do with the net. But uh, no. I, when I saw that, I was like, I have to, I have to bring this up. <laughs> Good talking, I mean, boy. That's uh, kind of dumbfounded by that. Like, can you imagine if you went out like that? Like, oh, how did he die? Oh, a crazy stalker ran him over in his own lawn. No, I mean that's why I don't want to be famous. Jeez, I mean, kind of, seriously. Just infamous. What you get? Well, you've got that covered. <laughs> Speaking of infamous, mm-hmm. let's talk about 1995's Hackers. All right, let's do it. Why did he come to you? I got a record. I was zero cool. Zero cool? Crashed 1,507 systems in one day? Biggest crash in history. Front page New York Times, August 10th, 1988. I thought you was black, man. Yo, man, this is zero cool! Oh, shit! That's far out. This is zero cool, man! Oh. <laughs> Yo, that's great. There goes MIT. I'll make it up! Yeah? How? 
I'll hack the Gibson. Dude, they'll trace you like that, man. The cops are gonna find you. They're gonna find you with a smoking gun. Fucked if I care, man. Look, even if you had the password, it'll take you 10 minutes to get in, and you still gotta find the files, man. I mean, the cops will have you in five minutes. Oh, wow, we are fried. Never send a boy to do a woman's job. With me, we can do it in seven. You both screwed. I hope we do it in six. Jesus, I gotta save all your asses. I help. We could do it in five minutes, man. Okay, let's go shopping. <laughs> Boom! I had seen this before a couple of times. I have seen it at least once. Mm-hmm. I believe in full, but that's eh, a little wishy-washy. So this movie, this is probably one of those, one of the most ridiculous movies from the 90s that has become like a like a joke like it's almost a cult movie because of how dumb it is yeah i mean this is totally like i'd say a cult movie i feel like it gets it gets thrown around in those circles i mean this is the by far the most 90s movie we've watched yet right (laughs) uh probably yeah if nothing else just even forgetting all the computer stuff just the fucking style address of these people yes Uh, yeah i don't even know where to start with this fucking movie um, I mean, for anybody who hasn't seen it, uh, the basic idea is that uh, Johnny Lee Miller plays the main character, and it opens up when he's like a little boy. He's probably like 12 or something, mm-hmm. and uh, he is into computers, and he's a hacker, and he ends up like accidentally disabling, I think they say like, like 1,507 systems all on the same day, whatever the hell that means. But like he fucked up the stock market and all these things because he was playing around in a right. computer and doing his little In like shit. 1988, which again, I was like, what? I mean, <laughs> yeah. what? I couldn't even believe it. <laughs> this kid? The internet? Like, Yeah, now that I don't know if that was possible back then. But so that's what happens. And he's like, uh, he's not allowed to like touch a computer for seven years or whatever. And now uh, he, his mother has moved him to New York City where he's in a new school. And there is just this rampant like hacker subculture in mm-hmm. New York City. And all of the best hackers in the city go to the same school as him and are played by the likes of Angelina Jolie and Matthew Lillard. Mm-hmm. And uh, that guy who was from 25 the at the time playing oh. a, a high school student. <laughs> mm-hmm. And who else did you say? That guy from The Crow. Uh yes, uh, huh. Lawrence Mason, hmm. Tintin from the yeah, crew. and also the very effeminate convict from Con Air is in this as well. Oh, played, yeah, yeah, played freak with uh-huh. a ph. Uh-huh. Oh, of course it did. But so basically, now he's in this high school. Him and his friends are doing some hacking for fun. He's trying to win the heart of uh, Angelina Jolie, who is like threatened by how good of a hacker he is because mm-hmm. she's like the top dog at the school. And then uh, there's a subplot about a a bad guy hacker played by fucking Fisher Stevens oh. from Short Circuit. <laughs> he plays the plague. And so he is actually like, he's written a program that's stealing all this money from a company that he's working for. Meanwhile, he's pretending to be like their cybersecurity guy, and uh, it's basically an evil plot. And he's going to frame uh, Johnny Lee Miller and all of his hacker buddies for this thing that he's actually doing while he makes off with all this money. Mm-hmm. And so the hackers have to kind of fight back. 
uh, it's just if you take the Ninja Turtles, the original live action Ninja Turtles movie. Yes. That's like the scenes where all the street kids are like hanging out in that home base that Shredder has for them with it's just like mm. skateboarding ramps yes. and like arcade games and things everywhere. Like that movie came out in what, like 1990, 1989, something like that? Yep. If you fast forward that, like if all of those kids, like middle school aged kids from that lair in that movie naturally aged until the year 1995, this is them. I do like to think that it's a shared universe between Ninja Turtles and hackers. <laughs> yeah. At any given time, Leonardo's just down there in the sewer right. underneath Johnny Lee Miller's feet. Right. Like, do I have to step in with these oil tankers or, <laughs> or, or nah? But it's just, man, like all the most obnoxious shit from that Ninja Turtles movie or from mm-hmm. The Matrix, like none of it even comes close to this. It's just a nonstop bombardment on your eyes and ears in this movie, yeah. like electronic music yeah. and just like crazy bright flashing right. colors and Ter- shit. And terrible clothes, terrible music, a lot of aggressive inline skating. <laughs> yes. I mean, Milzy, between the two of us, we've seen a lot of movies. Uh-huh. Just throwing that out there. Hands down, this has the worst like computer pseudo graphics. Yeah. Of now, anything. I was reading a little about this and um so the director decided that all of the like cyberspace shit that you see in the movie, mm-hmm. like whenever you're like in a computer or whatever, mm-hmm. he decided that CGI would look even though like you know, computer graphics are what you would see on a computer, he decided that CGI would look too fake. So all of that cyberspace stuff is some combination of miniatures, rotoscoping, and animation. Well, a heavy dose of terrible. <laughs> I mean, it has kind of an interesting look sometimes, we'll but see. it is just so... There's nothing interesting about that. I'm sorry. There, There's one specific shot that I kind of like, where the camera is like zooming through the inside of a computer with just neon colors, and there's a specific reason for it that isn't really going to help my case at all. No. Uh, I we have to have talked about this at some point before. Have you ever watched Mystery Science Theater three thousand? Yes. Do you recall that uh, whenever they cut from the host segments into the theater, they always have a shot going down a hallway where numbered doors are opening and Mm. revealing different rooms. Yeah, Uh, that's a miniature set, and they run a camera on like a little thing with wheels through that as the doors move, and that's what it reminded me of. It had that same exact look. I could tell it was a miniature with a camera going through, even Mm -hmm. though it was supposed to be CG. And I liked that about it. That's all right. I'll, give you, I'll give you that, Mills. Okay, <laughs> for that reason alone. But I mean, these this movie, all of these the on screen graphics when someone's like, you know, they're hacking whatever. I mean, it looks. I mean, you're of the the right age too, Millsy. Where you could, I could just say like someone like poured kerosene on like an angel fire page and like burnt it and then you know sprinkled some fairy dust on there or whatever like that's what everything in this looks like it looks Mm -hmm. ridiculous yeah i had a couple angel fire sites i'm picking up what you're putting down i'd love to know like a hacker in 95 did they watch this movie and then just like you know throw their tv out the window like did this movie make people crazy or not 
I'll tell you, they didn't watch this movie oh. because the budget was twenty million and it made total box office seven point five million. <laughs> yes, this was a bomb of all bombs. Wow, <laughs> not Angelina um, Jolie's first movie, right? That was Cyborg Two. I believe uh, that was actually this is her third film there. She was in a movie called looking to get out. Uh, I don't think she was playing like a main role, but yeah, cyborg too. She was the lead. And then this hmm. was her third film. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. What's going on with Johnny Lee Miller's voice in this movie? Did you find it distracting at all? Like his accent at times? Um, no, I can't okay. say that I did. There's a couple times where I was like, I should have just recorded it so I could send it to you, but he just like his voice sounded so weird to to the point where I was like, is he like English and this is his trying to sound like American or not? But hmm. I don't know if you didn't notice it, maybe it's nothing. But I mean, there's so much going on in this movie, I was potentially distracted, but yeah, uh, yeah I'm not I'm not aware of just, any weird. Voice. I just have like endless weird notes about this movie, like. All these like random things I would pick up on. I'm pretty sure it opens with the Mortal Kombat music. You know that song? It's not like uh, the straight Mortal Kombat electronica. It's like a different. You're familiar with the first Mortal Kombat movie? Yeah, I have to, like I have to the go Mortal back Kombat and... theme song. I know. Yeah, that. not that one, but there's a different one that I was like, when it, this movie opened, I was like, wait, Mortal Kombat music? I was like, do these years line up? When did that movie come out? But. Hmm. I gotta do more I don't research. Know. I I mean, like I noticed some prodigy in the soundtrack. There is a song. Gosh, I think it's called. Is the song called Halcyon or is the band called Halcyon? Mm. During like the, I think it's the opening credits. Like the movie opens with like the trial, the brief trial for Johnny Lee Miller's character as a little kid. Yeah, and then do you remember like when he's you know the fucking judge throws the hammer down and then. It's like the kid being ushered out of the courthouse and into a oh, car. Yeah. That's and it's I'm... filmed in that weird, like, choppy style. Mm-hmm. That song, again, is either called Halcyon or the band is called See, Halcyon. Well, that's the and one I... I'm thinking about from Mortal Kombat. Oh, is it? Yeah. I, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen that. I know this song because it plays in the beginning of CKY2K, one of Bam Margera's like skate skit videos that I watched 7,000 times in my youth. (laughs) I mean, I used to watch that thing all the time. And there's a segment where they go to like Iceland and it plays as like a montage when they're like up on some glaciers just fucking around and, you know, doing jackassy shit. Bringing you back, huh? Yeah. But maybe it's in uh, Mortal Kombat as well. I'm not sure. Mm. I gotta find out. But yeah, just like back to what we were talking about with like the crazy visuals and all the graphics and stuff. The thing that has always bothered me about like the computer screens in this movie is that not a single one of them is anything recognizable. And I mean, I wasn't using the internet in 1995 when this came out. Like, like we've said, you know, I first really used the internet in the early 2000s, but no screen in this movie looks like a real computer screen. Most of it just looks like it was like a cool looking screensaver graphic. And there'll be characters like sitting there typing, just like fingers moving a mile a minute. And the screen is just like a static image with like swirling colors. There's like, there's no text. Like what are they typing? What are they seeing and doing Mm -hmm. that? Like it doesn't connect with my brain that they're actually doing anything. And then 
you know, anytime there's like a schematic of a building that they're hacking into or something, it's always an animation of it spinning around and like going into the wireframe and everything. And mm-hmm. it's just, it, it, none of it computes, like no pun intended, but it just doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you I had intended it. We're good for like, one of us will always throw out some random pun, I feel like, like every other episode. <laughs> I mean, surely that choice of words was influenced subconsciously by what we're talking about, but I did not mean to say that in a joking <laughs> manner. But I swear it. Um, but it just, like, that's always been the thing that, like, one of the things that really bugged me about this movie is the whole thing is about computers and computer hacking. And, you know, the characters are constantly telling you what they're doing, but you never can really see it mm-hmm. in what they're doing because it's just fucking psychedelic like blacklight posters on acid yeah. like swirling around on the computers yeah i'm pretty sure so there's that going on there's some random stuff in the background especially like and like the climactic like hacker battle at the end like <laughs> like fish- and there is a climactic yeah. hacker battle like, like that's a real thing fisher stevens like his like layer that he's in i'm pretty sure there's like one of those like uh what do they call those things is it uh is it like a Tesla coil or something? It's like in the background and he's like, it looks like he's um, like firing off electricity or something. Yeah. And he's not even using like a keyboard. It looks like to me, it looked like if you took a connect four and like laid (laughs) laid it down (laughs) flat flat and we're just pressing the black and red tokens. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, I do. It's like, it's like, it's like a yellow piece of plexiglass with circles cut out that have black inside of them. And he's just touching them. It doesn't even look like they're moving like buttons. Totally. I was like, are they serious with this right now? And during that whole scene, God, just how fucking funny is it that the like cyber tech sidekick of his is Penn Gillette. Oh, 1995 Penn Gillette. I mean, how did he even end up in this? I don't know, but it's fabulous. Oh, um, quick side note, um, Halcyon is the name of the song. Okay. The name of the band is Orbital. Okay. And it was feet. It's the it's the climactic song in Mortal Kombat. All right. So all right, go go us. And in CKY two K. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I it's been so long since I've seen Mortal Kombat. Uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe well, we'll get to watch it for oh, the show uh, one of oh, these days. Well, maybe. Wink, wink. <laughs> It's crazy too. Like, there's ton. It's so crazy that this movie was 95, mm-hmm. and it's like these terrible computer graphics, all this hacker talk, and people in leather and crazy boots, and everybody's wearing sunglasses at night indoors. <laughs> Dude, four. Yeah, I love the oh. scene where uh, the four dudes are like they're in Angelina Jolie's apartment at like a party that she's having while her mom's away. Yep. And these four guys go into her bedroom to like mess around with her, like awesome new laptop with all their naming off all these processors and shit that it has. Mm-hmm. And then she doesn't know they're in there. She like stumbles into the room with a guy and they like lay down on the bed and they're like making out and she's starting to take her clothes off. And so the four dudes at the computer like are like eyeballing her like creepily from across the room. And then your boy Tintin from The Crow, <laughs> like, as they're all ogling her, he puts on sunglasses, and there are no lights on in the room. It's dark in the room. 
Uh-huh. And I'm like, why, if he wants a, to get a look at her when she's taking her clothes off, why right. is he putting on sunglasses in yeah. the dark? Like the first like adult scene of Johnny Lee Miller, he's like, in, when his mom comes in to like check on him, like he's legit in his dark bedroom in front of a computer with the sunglasses on. And I was like, yes. I was like, yes, yes, yes. This is exactly I just, what I wanted. The fucking outfits are amazing. Like just like jackets with crazy like plastic looking shoulder pads mm-hmm. and Weird Johnny cutouts. Lee Miller at one point when like he comes out and his mom's asleep on the couch and he like gingerly lays the blanket over her. He's wearing like a baggy belly shirt, mm-hmm. which is so weird. Just every fucking outfit that Matthew yeah. Lillard wears. Ah. Like he's the complete freak of the group, obviously, right. because that's the character he played in every movie back then. Yeah, I was going to say he had, he was hot for like, what, a good four or five years of just playing that character in any movie he could get in, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, movies like this and up through, you know, Scream and mm-hmm. yeah, for sure that time period, SLC Punk, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just some of the fucking crazy outfits that he was wearing and everybody's, you know, hacker names that they call each other in real life, Ugh. like. Brutal. By comparison, Neo sounds normal from the yeah. Matrix. But Neo and Trinity. Yeah, it's uh, Angelina Jolie is acid burn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny Lee Miller used to be zero kill, no. zero cool, zero cool, and now he's crash override. Uh, you got the Phantom Freak. Matthew Lillard is serial killer, but like C E R E A L killer. Uh, Tintin from the Crow is Lord Nikon. It's just terrible my god and then there's like there's just the concept of those two asian dudes um razor and blade Ugh. who have like their own tv show but it's not like an actual thing that's broadcast just every night at the same time they hack into the same ra- like television station and have their show mm-hmm. that all the hackers of the world sit down to watch right. it's just it's crazy it's crazy like talk. what so like when I was reading behind the scenes of this movie, there actually was a hacker convention and the director and the cast went to it to like meet some of these people and all. It's wild to me to think that there was such a thing, but you hear the word convention and I think of like a comic con or something that's enormous. This hacker convention had to have been like 50 people in like a hotel ballroom, right? Uh, maybe. I mean, I'm sure because like, I know those have been bigger. But yeah, back then. weird... Um, like tiny little subsection of society, they were making this twenty million dollar movie to satisfy, right? right. Yeah. Like it only makes sense that it, pun intended, crashed and burned. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. Like, what was this? Like when they made this movie, were they trying to be like authentic in any way, or was it just like a cartoon version of what they thought hackers were? Well, if they actually went to the trouble to go to a hacking convention and like mm-hmm. meet these people and all, and like if you go on the IMDb trivia page for this movie, it is a laundry list of actual references to like real world hackers and uh, really? Matthew Lillard's character is named after a real hacker and um, there's like this there's just references like books and real things that are all hacker related. Like throughout the movie, so like they put some effort into it. Come on, but I just don't think that I think that they put a bunch of references. Like they could put in someone's name or like a nickname or like a real book that exists. I just think that they didn't know what actual hacking was when they made the movie. That's crazy. It's fucking bananas. Just the main villain, Fisher Stevens. Like you know, there's a scene where 
uh, just like the net, uh, there's a disc that the bad guys want to get back because it has some incriminating information on it. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene. I laughed out loud when this happened. <laughs> it's like a typical scene in a movie where the bad guys want something, so the good guy goes to a payphone to make the drop, and it's like a dark alleyway or something lit by oh, one streetlight. Yes, I know where this is going. And normally it would be like a black sedan pulls up and the window rolls down and somebody sticks their hand out with a gun, like, give Uh me the disc or whatever. And then they drive off into the night. In this, Fisher Stevens, on his skateboard that he rides everywhere, skitches up on the side of a car and then, like, lets go of the car, rides in front of Johnny Lee Miller, takes the disc and then grabs back onto Uh the car and skitches off into the night. Like, it's just so fucking over the right, top ridiculous right. i i don't know i would love to know if they were actually taking themselves at all seriously when they made this like i understand they were trying to be cool but did they actually think this shit was cool i feel like that's like what that's what 1995 was like people just having no idea that what they're doing is completely uncool when they were sure it was but i just do wonder you know, this movie did make seven point five million, so some people went to see it. Like, were there people, like young people at the time, like high school kids who saw this and thought it was cool? Like, thought that, like, maybe even like wanted to emulate the characters or something. Like, I can imagine plenty of young guys at the time being into like Angelina Jolie is so hot and she's like the kind of punk chick. Mm-hmm. But like, did anybody see this and it like? inspired them to like dress a certain way or act a certain way or have some bullshit nickname a certain way or anything. Yeah. I don't know. Or was it just completely out of touch? I don't know. Like did did they, did they start that or did they get it from somewhere? I don't know. We might have to do it as some kind of expose. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, this movie is like a parody of itself. Of of all the episodes that would make us branch out into other things, who would have thunk it would be this one? But yeah. yeah. We're going to have uh, extra episodes. I want to go out and interview old hackers. (laughs) Yeah. Just, I will say though, like, like I said, sneakers. I just think it's a universally great movie. I think everybody could enjoy it. It's not like the best film ever made, but it's just so fun and likable. This movie, I feel like it is, in a manner of speaking, terrible. Mm. But I feel like it must be seen. Like, if you've never seen Hackers, Mm -hmm. and you are of, like, that same generation of us, if you grew up in, like, the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, you have to see this yeah. movie. It's like, it's just an experience you need to have under your belt is right. watching this movie and just mouth agape at how fucking bananas it is. Right. Like what, what movies like possibly like an acid trip flashback to 1995. I'm going to say it's this one. It, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Just, poof, it is, yeah. it is wild. This fucking movie. Milsey, I feel like there's no like better way to think about like the, like the advances in technology. If you think this movie came out in 95, four short years later, 99, we got the matrix, how different that everything was at that point. Oh, I know. Isn't it just went crazy? from like, everything is bright neon to like goth kind of. Yeah. Like That's... goth adjacent kind of techno. Adjacent. Techno. I just, that blows my mind to think like how 
how things I mean, if you think back to like the eighties, like from say eighty to eighty-nine, mm-hmm. you you kind of get a feeling like things are more you know, things didn't change all that much. But if yeah. you think back to like ninety to ninety-nine, <laughs> I mean it's unbelievable. Yeah. There's a jump. That's right, for sure. right, right in the middle, you get these the springboards like this. <laughs> yeah, this one defined a generation oh. for at least five minutes. <laughs> for at least. Not a whole lot of uh, extra tidbits about this. I guess it's kind of interesting. Uh, Hillary Swank, Heather Graham, and Liv Tyler all auditioned to play Acid Burn, Angelina Jolie's character. I think Angelina Jolie of that group is just like the perfect person for this, just to be that like you know edgy counterculture yeah. girl. Yeah, she like uh, she, she fit that bill so much for sure. And uh, yeah, she just she's perfect for that role. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's funny though; uh, somebody else was actually hired before her, but had to drop out due to prior commitments to another film. Catherine Heigl was originally meant oh. to play this role. And she had to drop out because she was already committed to filming Under Siege 2 Dark Territory. Oh, I was just going to say, I was like, wow, is she even like old enough to be in that? But yeah, I guess she probably I didn't know like, that ah. she went back that far. I've, I've actually never seen Under Siege 2. I have. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. I think she's like high school age-ish. Mm-hmm. Huh, that's wild. The year after this movie came out, Angel- Angelina Jolie and Johnny Lee Miller got married. Hmm. He was her first husband. I did not know that. Uh, They were married until the year 2000, four years. And this movie had not one, not two, but three soundtrack albums. Oh. You had the official motion picture soundtrack, and then there were two albums. It was was like Hackers 1, Hackers 2, and Hackers 3, kind of like how, like, Hackers to the third, you know, like Alien 3 has, like, the little three up in the corner. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the albums are labeled like that, and the second and third ones are called, like, Hackers 2, Songs From and Inspired by the Film, and then same thing with the third one. It's just funny that, you know, a movie that did this poorly had three fucking soundtrack albums. Yeah, that's crazy. And uh, one final thing that I thought was kind of interesting, in this movie, they constantly refer to this supercomputer that they're trying to hack as the Gibson. Right. That's not a real thing. That's actually a reference to William Gibson, who is the guy who kind of is the father of the cyberpunk genre. Uh, He wrote the novel Neuromancer, which introduced terms like cyberspace into the popular culture. And um, Random side note to that. Is that what they kept calling that drink in the Yes, that's what I was going to say next. That's also a reference to William Gibson. The uh, martini with a, a... onion instead of an olive in it i think is what it was wow something like that they refer to it as a gibson and that is also a reference to william gibson that's awesome and he is also the guy uh who wrote the draft of alien 3 speaking of that that they just turned into a comic book recently Uh, at dark horse the crazy like mutated alien cyberpunk alien movie that didn't get made but really should have no way look at that it's connections Mm -hmm. all around us millsy (laughs) <laughs> yeah. For years, uh, Vincenzo Natale, the guy that made Cube and Splice, has been orbiting around a Neuromancer movie. I kind of don't know if it's ever going to happen at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a... but that, that would be cool. It. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, 
I don't know. I think All that's right. about the bottom of the barrel yeah. I hear us scraping up against. Yeah. Let's talk some posters. Uh, start off with sneakers, I suppose. Yeah. Um, the poster to sneakers is flat out, these people are in this movie. Go see it. I will say, while not the most incredible poster design, potentially because of my long history with this movie, I feel that it's iconic, though. Yes. Like, when you see, like, if you squint at that, you know that sneakers. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not the most incredible design ever. It's just something that is so ingrained in my mind Mm -hmm. now. Like, somebody who's never seen the poster could probably look at it and be like, yeah, that's a lame poster. Yeah, but I back up. Like, I would know that from far away without being able to read any part of it. Mm -hmm. I would know that with sneakers. Yeah, so, you know, if for anybody who doesn't know what it looks like, it's basically just a white poster with the entire cast names listed real big with the word sneakers red on white. And then the bottom corner is made to look like a piece of paper being curled up and uh, the six main cast members are all like peeking at you from underneath this curled up piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, not mind blowing in any way, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. It earns points for me for just how iconic I feel that it is. Yeah. I'll, I'll back you up on that, Mills. And maybe that's just you and I, since we're fans of the movie. But maybe, but it, it, I mean, there's plenty of times where it could be just instead of just floating heads. You know, it's it's a, something a little different. But they're totally mm-hmm. using the the cast names to sell this. Yeah, but I mean, as we've already discussed, what a cast! So like. Sure. I mean, that's what you I, do. I, yeah. I ain't even mad. No, I mean, you don't fault them for it. I mean, <laughs> I think anyone would do the same thing, so. Yeah. Because you're not going to, like, have them hunking around a computer or, like, what from the movie do you put on the poster besides something like this? Mm-hmm. So. I'll tell you one thing I could do without is the, uh, the I, I don't, would you call that a tagline or is it just, like, a sentence to try and, like, give people... I think context or yeah, I think that's just you got to give him something instead of just saying, yeah, like that from the time from ninety two as well. I mean, really though, I would say with that lineup of names like Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley, you know, mm-hmm. Sidney Poitier, you could probably leave off the tagline. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. A Maybe. burglar, a spy, a fugitive, a delinquent, a hacker, and a piano teacher, and these are the good guys. <laughs> Right. I don't yeah, need yeah. that. I mean, yeah, it still doesn't even tell you anything about the movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess that's one thing is that this poster, while I do find it iconic, isn't really indicative of what the film is at all. Correct. Yeah. But it's like, how do you even describe the movie? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's, but then that, again, that's why these kind of scripts get this kind of cast because that's what sells them. Yeah. So I can dig it. As can I. No, not going to hate on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the net. <sighs> what do you say about this? The net is like, all right, we got a movie called The Net. It's got the internet. It's 1995. What do we put on here? You know, it's like, oh, let's get some uh, binary yeah, numbers. <laughs> let's, let's put like a server room. It's like proto matrix code. Yeah. Like who's in this one? Oh, Sandra Book. Yeah. We mean, we need her head on half of this thing. Oh, that's like yeah. two thirds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there's some there's some kids named Ryan Miller out there. He's 12 years old. Loves Sandra Bullock. We got to get her head up there as <laughs> big as possible. Okay, you got a boss. Look, man, People Magazine can't be wrong. No, I mean that magazine stands for all the people. That's <laughs> true. I mean, valid points <laughs> all around. She's uh, a beautiful woman. I don't know what yeah, to say. I, 
<laughs> You're not wrong. It's just, you know, that's how stalkers happen, I guess. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it began on an episode of Triple Threat Theater. <laughs> Ryan so, Miller had it all. <laughs> You're better than that. Of all the people I know, I know I would never have to worry about you driving off someone's lawn trying to take people out. At their own house, even. I mean, You think you know more than you know. Uh, this, yeah, this one, I don't know. I, I typically don't love text, like things to read on a poster at all. Right. This one, though, I mean, it's kind of applicable. Just the name The Net doesn't really tell you anything. No. It pretty succinctly gives you an idea of what the movie's about. Her driver's license, her credit cards, her bank account, her identity deleted. Yeah. And that got to be like 1995. This had to have been a thing like old people were worrying about. Mm-hmm. So like they, you got to put that tagline in there. It's not like, oh, your worst fears. Come see them Friday <laughs> yeah. night. So, yeah, I mean, this is not a great poster, but no. it's very, very 95. That That's it is. Sure. That it is. Mm-hmm. For better or worse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then we have Hackers. Now, there is an image that is not this one. Oh. That is much more familiar to me. I don't know if it was the actual poster, but I think it was like the the DVD or the VHS cover Mm -hmm. that is just much more indicative of the film. It's like almost like a fisheye lens down shot on the whole group of hackers, like looking up and reaching their arms in the air. And the background is just fucking crazy psychedelic colors. Like oranges and purples and greens. That's the thing I'm more used to, but I would buy that this is the actual poster. Uh, yeah, I did come across that exact one you're talking about. Um, like, I feel like that was like magazine ads and shit. Like, yeah, they, 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 the website I was using, it has it as the, that's the movie cover. Yeah, and I'll I, buy it. Like, yeah. I, I believe it. Yeah, that um, was the movie cover and that was the German poster. Hmm. But this other one, which I'm not familiar with, is the uh, official. Yeah, this one, not super familiar to me. And I think the other one, honestly, better, you know, at giving you an idea of the feel of the movie, at least. Yeah. This one's almost too fucking somber, and it's all steely right. blue. Right, because the other one's like purple, red, green, yellow, every color. Every rainbow yeah. color is on the other one. Yeah, This one's very just like, yeah, somber is probably the best way to put it. We got some, some more uh, not-quite-matrix code. <laughs> yeah. Like a uh, pretty bad like early Photoshop logo. Yeah, just uh, you know, two big headshots kind of fading into the yeah. black background. It's yeah. actually kind of similar to uh the net oh, in a totally. little bit of a way. This one's got two uh taglines, Millsy. <laughs> I see that. Their crime is curiosity and boot up or shut up. Ooh. Just yeah, who I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like what they could, you know. They couldn't quite de- agree on what to put, so they put both. Like, was this poster supposed to appeal to high school kids at the time? Probably. I mean, just speaking from a point of view of, like, let's try and market this to the people we're trying to market it to. Mm-hmm. Let's, like, nobody knows who Angelina Jolie is at the time. Like, she's got a pretty face, and it's zoomed in on her here. But if you want to attract, like, young men to the movie, pull out some. And show, like, that full body shot of, like, you know, she's the counterculture, like, punk girl with an attitude. 
full body shot of Johnny Lee Miller in one of his ridiculous fucking costumes. Like, show these people off a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, bring a little more life to it, some more color, some of the wild outfits that they wear and shit. Like, I just feel like this, this is, like, taking subject matter that is meant for one demographic and trying to sell it to a lamer demographic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, tell me I'm wrong here. Listen, you nailed it. I mean, let's just... That's it. That's it exactly. Yeah, not a whole lot appealing no. about it. No, I don't know if it's better or worse than the one for the net, but it definitely feels like it's it does its job more. Yeah, it, it's 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 more poor at doing its job because it doesn't represent the movie that well. Hmm. I mean, I'd still, I'd probably still say it's just more appealing to my eyes than the net. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's just like colors and overall. They're both pretty boring. They're both pretty boring. They're both bad. I mean, it's I'm you know you give it the sneakers all day. Yeah. So sneakers, like we said, not like the best poster design in the world, but iconic to me. Mm-hmm. And it works. tells you what you need to know, which is all those people are in it. Mm-hmm. It works, and it's at least like pleasing to the eye. It's not like offensive to my eyeballs. Yeah. So I mean, sneakers probably like a three, three out of five. Three, three, what, three, three uh, out of discs. five, yeah, floppy disks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And hackers in the net. I don't know. It's probably twos for both of them. Right. I mean, they're bordering on ones. I'd say for me, but yeah. Oh God. Speaking of floppy disks. Oh. Can you believe that fucking scene? Like in the middle of hackers. <laughs> Uh, there's a whole like rivalry between Johnny Lee Miller and Angelina Jolie, and they decide they're going to have like a hacking competition. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where it's like, you know, uh, Angelina Jolie is like, you know, booting up her computer and get ready for the, the like competition. And then it cuts to Johnny Lee Miller and he's standing in front of a mirror, like oh. trying to look cool. And he's like, got, he like whips up his hands. Yes. Like he's got pistols, but he's got a floppy disk in each hand. Ugh. And then he like, he pulls up his shirt to reveal like part of his stomach. And there's a floppy disk sticking out of his boxers. And it's just the fucking most mm-hmm. obnoxious thing. It's so crazy. <laughs> like, is that supposed to be cool that you have a fucking floppy disk tucked in your pants? People, the, the, like this movie was either completely on point or completely opposite had no clue of what the people actually did at the time. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just wish I could step back in time and find out. You know I what? No I, clue. I got to know, Mills. Like, what could you even put on a floppy disk? Was that like a one megabyte kind of thing? I mean, I know that I used to save like text documents on them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so it was like a two megabyte max, you know. I yeah, got like, uh, I got a thumb drive. You know, I got a, a USB drive that's the size of my fingernail. That I was pissed. It's only got twenty gigs on it. You know, <laughs> yeah, how far we've come. Yeah, man, we are spoiled, mm-hmm. spoiled at this point. <sighs> well, Mills, what do you yeah. know? What do you say? Well, I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> mm, okay. And what I'm going to say is that obviously, based in the way that we've been talking this whole show, sneakers is tops for me. Buying that one all day long. I do own a copy on DVD, and I would rebuy it on Blu-ray if I found it for okay. a couple bucks. I like it. Um, then it comes down to the net and hackers. Uh, hackers, like I said, is completely 
fucking obnoxiously bonkers and like stupid and objectively not very good. But um I I think it's a more entertaining watch than the net. The net Ooh. was, you know, fine, but it's just kind of dull. It just kind of sits there. After years of anticipation of me like, I gotta sit down and watch that someday. Didn't really live up to my expectations. The one thing it has going for it is Sandra Bullock's mug. <laughs> so that one, unfortunately, is going to get burned to ash, Chappie uh-huh. style. Oh, And nice. uh, I'm going to borrow Hackers all day long. This is a movie I will revisit at some point of my own volition. Mm-hmm. Well played. Mills? Uh-huh. Sneakers. Easy choice for buy. I mean, come on. For I sure. Mean. We couldn't have telegraphed that anymore <laughs> yeah. than we did. Like you said, it comes down to crazy as all hell hackers. And then, um, you know, uh, pure like 1995 internet hysteria, the net. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would say I actually enjoyed hackers. <laughs> it's yep. ridiculous it's everything you said it's crazy but at least like it's not dull which i think <laughs> yeah. the the net is dull yes so the net off to the sun with you <laughs> wow mm-hmm. you match up again i'll borrow me some hackers mm-hmm. i'm with you man all right nice high five I dig it so uh, shall we then end off with what we're going to watch next? Please, Millsy. I'm ready. 208 possibilities. That list just Oof. keeps on getting bigger. Yeah. We had some some recent uh, acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Here we go. 208. It's going to be. Oh, Millsy. 194. Oh, my goodness. High numbers. Hot numbers. <laughs> 194 is going to be nighttime. What could it all mean? Nighttime. <laughs> Drink it in, people. You're in oh, for a treat. Oh, yes, sir. I'm I'm looking forward to this one. Totally. I'm in the mood for this one. I've only seen one of these. As have I. I bet you oh. we've seen the same one. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Go team. Yeah. So Excellent. Yeah. Nice. I don't know if the listeners are gonna like it, but I'm gonna like it. Yeah, well. We do this for us anyways, so. Nighttime. <laughs> oh, God. And then i got to come up with some Sandra Bullock trifectas, too. <laughs> By all means. There's <laughs> plenty of her movies I haven't seen. Right, perfect. I mean, I've seen Speed and Speed 2. I've seen Demolition Man, and not, now I've seen The Net. But there's a lot of other ones in there I haven't seen. Yeah, totally. So, all right, I'll get to work. <laughs> well, Mills, I'll do it. Episode 26. I am Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.